So Nick, now that I'm starting MFM Fellowship, I'm realizing that I'm very quickly losing my GYN knowledge. I know, right? We did this episode on vulvar disease, and I was like, oh my god, vulvar disease. I have already lost all of my knowledge of that. Where did you find any information about GYN, Faye? So thankfully, the OBG project has all of their up-to-date information on both OB and GYN information um, that you can access online at any point. Fortunately, I've kept up with that subscription-only OBG first, which allows me to bookmark articles and summaries into my own personal library so I can find those things again that I need for studying for the boards. So if you are a fourth-year resident, you can sign up for one year for OBG first absolutely free, and trust me, it is very, very much worth it. Head on over to our website, creogsovercoffee.com, check out the sidebar, and see how you too can get a free year of OBG first as a chief resident. Alright guys, welcome back. This is Faye. This is Nick. And this is Creogs Over Coffee. So today we'll be starting our series on cardiac disease in pregnancy. And so for the first part of the series, we are going to talk about normal physiologic cardiovascular changes in pregnancy. Um, so Nick, what are our learning objectives for today? Number one, we're going to talk about what is the heart, the different parts of it, and how each structure functions. Next, we'll talk about structural and functional changes of the heart and the vascular system during the different stages of pregnancy. And finally, we're going to learn about why these changes can lead to cardiac issues in patients who have underlying cardiac disease. So Faye, I'm excited for this. Um, what is heart? <laughs> yeah, this is, you know, actually a question that I had to ask um, my first month of fellowship because I thought I knew how the heart worked, but apparently I don't. Um, so let's first actually just go to the very, very basics. Everyone think back to your cardiology block, you know, first or second year of medical school. Cardiologists, please stop listening at this point. Um, you don't want to hear an obstetrician explain the heart to you. This, like I said, this part is very basic. So if you feel like, you know, you have this part down pat, go ahead and skip this next part of the podcast. Really what we're going to do is I want to just take us in terms of a review of first where the blood flows from in terms of the right heart, and then we'll talk about the same thing on the left heart, and we'll also talk about what happens when there is heart failure on one side versus the other. So we're going to start from the right side of the heart. So blood flows from your superior and inferior vena cava, right, from the system. It returns to the right atrium, then comes down through the tricuspid valve, which has three leaflets, into the right ventricle. Then if everything goes well, the right ventricle pumps. The blood gets pushed through the pulmonic valve, which also is three leaflets, into the pulmonary artery or pulmonary trunk. This then divides to the right and left pulmonary artery, which then goes to the lungs, where the blood is then oxygenated. So knowing that, you know, what happens if the right heart fails? So the most common cause of right heart failure is left heart failure. But right heart failure basically means that the right side of the heart is not able to pump out as much blood to the lung that is coming into the right side of the heart. So this leads to blood backing up into the systemic circulation. So this is where you see a lot of classic signs of heart failure, like your lower extremity edema, your hepatomegaly, your jugular venous distension. Causes of right heart failure in the acute setting include things like a pulmonary embolism with a large clot burden, right? So you're thinking, 
things that can lead to increased pressure on the right ventricle so that the right ventricle is now pumping against increased pressure. Um, other things that can cause that are adult respiratory distress syndrome, you have a right ventricular myocardial infarction, or even myocarditis. Causes of chronic right heart failure include things like pulmonary hypertension, pulmonary arterial hypertension, which we'll talk about is different from pulmonary hypertension, um, COPD, OSA, congenital heart disease, cardiomyopathies, or right-sided valvular disease. Okay, Nick, so that is a very, very brief overview of the right heart and things that can happen with right heart failure. Talk to me a little bit more about the left heart. Where does the blood start from? Where does it go? Yeah, so we'll pick up where you left off, Faye. Let's say now blood is coming out of the lungs, freshly oxygenated. It's going to return in via those pulmonary veins into the left atrium. From the left atrium, it moves past the mitral valve, which is, unlike the other valves we've talked about so far, a two-leaflet valve, and then goes into the left ventricle, the big pumping force of the heart that pumps blood to the systemic circulation. To leave the left ventricle, it has to pass by the aortic valve, which is another three leaflet valve. Though some people can have two leaflets in the aortic valve, which we'll talk about later on. And that again is how it gets into the aorta and from there to the body. So the left heart being kind of the big pumping side to the body, the left heart failure is an important thing to know about. Left heart failure means, again, that you're not getting as much blood pumping out to the body as is coming into that side. So this leads to blood backing up to where we started in the pulmonary circulation. So pulmonary edema is a common clinical consequence, and that can lead to shortness of breath, coughing, you know, all of the symptoms of pulmonary edema. Causes of left heart failure are varied, um, but can be things from myocardial infarction, dilated cardiomyopathy, left-sided valvular disease, long-standing hypertension, and congenital heart diseases. All right, so Faye, now that we've reviewed each side of the heart, let's move on to talking about changes in the cardiovascular system during pregnancy. Maybe a little throwback to one of our early episodes. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll talk a little bit first about the hemodynamic changes of pregnancy, and we'll break this down into antepartum, and then we'll talk about intrapartum, and then finally postpartum. And then um, on the flip side of that, uh, we're also going to talk about the structural changes in the heart. In terms of antepartum hemodynamic changes, throughout pregnancy, there's a continuous increase in maternal cardiac output and plasma volume. Um, overall, we know that there's a decrease in maternal systemic vascular resistance, and so blood pressure will decrease initially in pregnancy. A lot of women who have chronic hypertension, you actually see that this will improve um, until about the third trimester when the blood pressure will start to go back to where it was pre-pregnancy. We also have a very nice chart from the practice bulletin on pregnancy and cardiac disease um, where you can see all of these changes. In terms of intrapartum and postpartum, this is where the, there's a lot of hemodynamic changes that can occur. During labor and delivery, there's an increase in cardiac output, heart rate, blood pressure, and plasma volume to a huge extent. This can go up as much as 30% for cardiac output during first stage of labor up to 50% um, in second stage of labor. And that's, you can imagine, the heart doing a lot of work um, as the mother is engaging a lot of physical activity to try and push out um, their infant. 
Immediately postpartum, we also know that there is a very large fluid shift. Basically, the uterus is giving you a 500 cc's of blood as in an autotransfusion, where the blood flow that originally went to the gravid uterus shifts right back into the maternal circulation. Because of this, blood pressure can actually increase between days three through six uh, due to all of these fluid shifts. And with some of these fluid shifts, those women with cardiac disease can become more prone to fluid overload and pulmonary edema. As you can imagine, in someone who already is in a precarious uh, fluid balance, if they already have some type of underlying cardiac disease, these wild swings in hemodynamic changes and increase in fluid shift may just be enough to tip them over into heart failure, whether that's right-sided or left-sided, depending on where their cardiac lesion is. Okay, Nick, so talk to me about the structural changes um, that can occur with pregnancy in the heart. Yeah, so again, not only does the heart change hemodynamically, but even the structure itself changes. The heart increases in size over the course of pregnancy, which is one cool and interesting fact to have. In fact, the left and right ventricular mass increases by about 50 and 40% respectively, um, which is a massive, massive increase. And left ventricular end diastolic volume, meaning the volume that at the end of diastole, the maximum filling volume increases by about 10%. Interestingly enough, this can actually lead to quite common dysfunction. About 20% of women, in fact, have diastolic dysfunction at term um, that can manifest with symptoms such as dyspnea on exertion. These structural changes, though, ultimately do remodel, um, but it takes time. It, in fact, the timing is estimated to be about a year postpartum to get structural changes to return to that baseline pre-pregnancy status. All right, Faye, I think that sums it up for kind of this first episode on the physiologic changes of the cardiovascular system in pregnancy. Let's summarize. Okay. So for the first part of our podcast, we basically reviewed the blood flow um, within the heart. We first talked about the right heart and then the left heart. So just to remind ourselves, the blood flow comes from the SVC and the IVC from the systemic circulation into the right atrium through the tricuspid valve into the right ventricle. The right ventricle then pushes the blood out through the pulmonic valve into the pulmonic circulation to the lungs. Um, causes of right heart failure uh, most commonly are due to things like left heart failure, but there are other causes such as increased resistance on the pulmonary side of the circulation. So for example, a massive PE, ARDS, all of these things can lead to acute onset right heart failure, which will then lead to all of the symptoms that we kind of think about when we think of heart failure, things like lower extremity edema, JVD, um, hepatomegaly, things like that. On the left heart side, again, we start from the oxygenated blood in the lungs coming through the pulmonary veins into the left atrium, passing the mitral valve or the two-leafed valve of the heart, then going to the left ventricle and out to the systemic circulation by way of the tri-leafed aortic valve and the aorta. If the left heart fails, again, that means that blood is not going out to the body effectively. And so blood backs up into the pulmonary circulation, leading to symptoms such as pulmonary edema, shortness of breath, coughing, etc. Left heart failure is varied in terms of its etiologies, but can include things like myocardial infarction, cardiomyopathy, valvular disease, long-standing hypertension. In terms of hemodynamic changes in pregnancy, um, 
We know that throughout pregnancy, there's a continual increase in maternal cardiac output and plasma volume and a decrease in maternal systemic vascular resistance that balance each other out in the third trimester. So blood pressure will initially decrease in the first two trimesters, but will usually come back to baseline in the third trimester. There are huge fluid shifts intrapartum and postpartum. Um, intrapartum, there is increased cardiac output, heart rate, blood pressure, and plasma volume. And in that immediate postpartum state, remember that the uterus is going to give the body a large autotransfusion of about 500 cc's. Because of this, blood pressures may increase between days three to six postpartum. And know that these fluid shifts can be um, devastating for women who are in a precarious cardiac situation. And these fluid shifts can put them into heart failure. With respect to the structural changes of the heart, the heart increases in size during pregnancy. And in fact, the mass of the left and right ventricles respectively can increase by 50 and 40%. And the filling volumes of the heart also increase significantly. Women can have diastolic dysfunction at term that often will just result in some dyspnea on exertion. Um, but structural changes overall can return to baseline after about a year postpartum. All right. So once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creags Over Coffee. If you enjoy this episode or any of our other episodes, give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify, or any of your other podcatchers. Head on over to our website, www.creagsovercoffee.com, for show notes on this episode as well as any of our previous episodes. Follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Creogs Over Coffee One, Facebook and Instagram at Creogs Over Coffee. Or if you want to support the show, go ahead and go into our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Creogs Over Coffee. If you have an idea for a future episode or just want to send us some love or a correction, email us at creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. <laughs>